Thank you for starting the camera. Welcome to those who are joining us right now. Um, uh, as I just said, it's extraordinary what the Lord's doing in these sermons. Now, we've been in a series now where we've been looking at the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, and now we're up to Judges. And we've been looking at this now for, I don't know how many months we've been in this. Do, do you? Was it the beginning of the year? Or was it the fall? Or I don't know what it was. But whenever it was, we started doing this. And sure enough, in these next few sermons, God is tying up in a little bow everything that happens. And then we take a break and we celebrate Christmas. And then I'm not quite sure what's going to happen after that. We're still praying about it and trying to seek the Lord and figure it out. But it's just extraordinary to me that the Lord would orchestrate it to where you've seen how much we've changed. And like today, I'm supposed to be on Ruth. I'm not. I'm in Judges. I'll be in Ruth the next time and, and so on. But the bottom line is he started it here and, he, and he's wrapping up the first five books plus Judges plus Ruth. He's wrapping this whole thing thought, this whole series, this whole idea up in an extraordinary fashion. I mean, literally, I had no idea about any of this. And now we're here and I'm just going, wow. So as I said last week, I had a one-two punch out of Judges. And again, I thought I was going to be adding Ruth to it, but then the Lord said, no, do that the next time. So the bottom line is, is this is coming off of what we did last time in Judges. And just to refresh our memories, we're going through this quickly but to refresh our memory, the thing that's happened is in Genesis and all the way through, what we see is an amazing God who's doing amazing things, who's pouring out in love, grace, mercy, provision, blessing, all of this stuff. God's pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And what are we doing? Pushing away, pushing away, pushing away, pushing away. <laughs> and Judges is the one where we push away the most to where it just really disintegrates way, way, way down into a deep hole. Okay, and we're going to look at that in one second. But I just want you, to, I want you to see that dynamic. Well, here, let's do it then. Here. So Judges, we did last week. This is the second part of it. And I started off that sermon doing this. And I want you to do it again right now, even if you did it last week. In your heart, do you feel that there is more to the Christian walk than you are living? There's more to what this Christian walk really is supposed to be about than what I'm actually living. Do you feel that? Do you believe that? Do you have some sense of it? Okay, I, I hope you do, because I can tell you, infinite God, finite people, there's more. Having said that, we just really tried to bring it home strong by saying this, asking this question of ourselves. Looking at the lives of the disciples and others in scriptures, is your life even close to theirs? Now, I want to say something. This, this morning, the Lord brought this to my heart, and that was, I spend my whole life doing what the disciples did. <laughs> this is what I do 24-7 every day, 365 days a year. I spent my whole life doing what the disciples did. And my perception of my comparison to how the disciples lived is that I'm not even in the same ballpark as they are. <laughs> That's how I feel. I really feel that way. You know, they were doing something that I would like to do. <laughs> right? So... You know, right? There's a thing here. Now, again, what's that thing? And it's this thing that God's been showing us through the first five books and now judges of this cycle that we saw in the great Bible project video. This cycle of started over here on peace. See, God puts us in the land. He gives us the land. We're in some sort of peace and some sort of prosperity. The things of the world start coming up. We start getting our eyes on the things of the world. We start 
worshiping essentially them instead of God. See? We start supplanting God with the stuff of the world, and we end up the top thing worshiping it. Now, there's the sin. That's the going our way, not his. And then the things of the world always, every time, the things of the world that is under Satan and the world is under Satan, the things of the world always lead to bondage. <laughs> By the way, you can have all kinds of things from the world in the Lord and they don't lead to bondage. They lead to bondage when you exalt them and you're choosing them over God. And if you do that, it leads to bondage. And then you suddenly realize that you're in bondage, so you cry out in repentance and you cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears our cries and he delivers us, <laughs> right? This is the cycle. And now that we're delivered, we're happy and we're peaceful and we're good again. And then the world, things of the world start creeping in again. And what this video showed was, through those stories was, is that the judge's story is not one that just cycles around like this. It cycles badder and badder and worse and worse. It goes to the worst possible place at the end of the book. And the, 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 the line that's important in it is, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, which means that we're going after the stuff of their heart, not God, okay? So there we go. Now, we, we did the counter narrative, the counter cycle. This one's trying to cycle you down into hell, literally. And what God is trying to do is to spin us up into the Lord. And so here's the counter narrative. You, it's not that the things of the world disappear, but you stop looking at them and you start looking through them to people that are now in bondage. You've been in bondage, comfort where you've been comforted, and you're still in bondage, so comfort as you're being comforted. And so the bottom line is, but the, but the thing is, the way to get to the other cycle, not the downward cycle is, start realizing that there's other people in need. And so what you do is you start looking through at their need, not just yours. Yeah, there's a connection, but you're looking at their need. And when you do that, as you let that happen, as you let the Holy Spirit really get a hold of you, you will start to weep as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. If only they had known and the destruction that was to come upon them. And so we start to weep, which is to say that we start to cry out. Now we're crying out for somebody else. Yes, we're in there somewhere, but we're crying out for somebody else. And I want, you to, I want to show you something about this cycle. Because what Judges is about is the Holy Spirit. This is what Judges is about. I want you to just, I want to stop right now and I want to tell you something that's key for today. God has been showing us over and over our propensity to push him away. All the way through, he's been showing us something else. But as we've seen the propensity to push him away get bigger, what God starts doing is, is he starts showing us more and more what the spirit does. And the spirit is the thing that counteracts the world. When you're led by the Spirit, the book of Judges is about the Holy Spirit moving. Now watch. See, right here, when we cry out in repentance, here's Romans. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what God wants us to pray for. <laughs> you know, most people do. I want this. God, please give it to me. <laughs> but if we really start getting the heart of God, then it starts going a different way. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. This is tongues and this is just that thing of the Holy Spirit of God's. Who's God care about? 
What's, who's he weeping over? Who's he grieving for and wanting someone to go? Right? So, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So what's the key variable? What's the action point? What's it pivot on? It's the Holy Spirit getting a hold of us and having us to pray for the things that God cares about. And when God hears those cries, he assures us in the New Testament that he will answer every single one of those prayers. And now we get to deliverance. And what is deliverance? Well, we showed you last week what the book of Judges is about. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. Deborah was a prophetess. The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord, Jephthah, Samson. The Spirit of the Lord made and direct him. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him. You see this? What is God doing in the world to counteract what the world's trying to do in dragging you down? It's trying to bring you to him who will take you up. The Holy Spirit. Now, you don't, you, people don't read the Old Testament and think about the Holy Spirit like this. It's not that it's not there. It's that what we're doing. When you look at the Old Testament for what it's really saying, you start to understand what the New Testament is really about. Because <laughs> God's been saying all along the same thing. We just don't see it. The Spirit is all over, right? Second verse, and the Spirit hovered over the formlessness and void and gave it shape, purpose, and meaning. So we see this Holy Spirit all over this new cycle. Now watch, when you've been crying out for somebody, now maybe he uses somebody else, but maybe he uses you to touch that other person, to reach out to them. And when the Holy Spirit empowers us, anoints us, moves through us to make a difference in someone else's lives, we are so impacted, it causes us to fall in love much more deeply with him. And when we fall in love much more deeply with him, we start being open and seeing all these other people who have what God can do for them. Because <laughs> we've seen what God can do, not just in our lives, but in the other people's lives that we've been lifting up. And now you're on this cycle that starts going up and up and up and up. See it? So now watch. Really, in a very real way, this entire thing is the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit, we spiral up. If you have the Spirit leading your life, you're going up. In fact, the key that opens the door to the incredible life that God has for us, remember that's the question you've been asking. What's, what is your life and what's it compared to what you think God has for you? The key to it is, let the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see those in need. Let the Spirit pray through us about what to do. Let the Spirit empower us to do it. Now that was last week's sermon. But here's what I want you to see. The Lord has been gunning for this. He's been aiming at this since the very first sermon in this series. In fact, and in truth, always in everything in our life. But in this particular series, the Lord has been aiming to a target. And what is that target? His solution for what the world does. And it's the Holy Spirit in us. So everything we've been learning for the last several months boils down to following and obeying the Spirit. So then there becomes a really important question, doesn't there? But Kurt, I don't hear the Spirit. So the question this week, in fact, the entire journey is, how do we get ever better at truly hearing the Spirit? Does that sound like it's important now? <laughs> With this opening? If that's the case, and boy, what a perfect person to pray for this one, because the Holy Spirit 
is doing so many things in your life, but Kimberly Jackson and, and Kenny just lost his mother. And so, love you, Kenny. Uh, they memorialized her yesterday. But Kimberly, the Holy Spirit's been moving in your life. Would you pray for this sermon that God gets his way done, that he starts showing us how to hear him? Lift up another church, too. Lord Jesus, as I even was thinking about this prayer, the first word that came to my mind was truth. That we worship you in spirit and truth, and we started this day this way. And as you speak your truth through Curtis, that we would stop and ask, Lord, what is the truth you're speaking? I want to hear the truth you're speaking. And that we would receive that truth, and it would have action. Amen. It would have the, the Word of God is a, a double-edged sword. It, it causes us to move, and that it would be active, living and active in us, Lord. Amen. And Lord, may this truth, the spirit of truth, as it swirls through us, through, swirls through this church, Father God, may it be a radiating force and touch every church in this community and outside this community, Father God, that your power would be known, you would be famous in this town today. In every church. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, everybody, I hope, has seen this because if you watch a sermon, it's always the first slide that we have in our sermons because this is the thing that drives us. Now, here's what happened two weeks ago when I was praying for the sermon that I gave last week. The Lord showed me something about this diagram, which we've had for a while. And in order to understand what he showed me, which I'll get to in just a second... I need to go back over and tell everybody what this is, where it comes from, and why. Now, some of you know the story, but I can tell you right now two things. One, there's going to be a lot of things in here that you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's right, because the Lord has done something extraordinary in here that I didn't even know until literally last week. And I've been, we've had this for, what, a decade now, this basic framework, and I didn't even know that this was in it. But here's what I want to, here's what I want to do. Where does this come from? There's been other diagrams and so on. The first five, six, seven years of this church's growth were phenomenal. They were very explosive, and the Holy Spirit was moving, and people were growing. There was so much, so much that the Holy Spirit was doing that you could, if you were just here, you were growing. And what we did was, at some point in time, as we sat down as a staff and as elders and, and so on, and we just said, you know, how do we... How do we somehow help someone understand the journey of discipleship so that they become better disciples? And this is before we ever moved into this building. So the first thing we came up with was we, we traveled to some churches. We did a lot of research. We looked at a lot of different models for how does God disciple and how do churches disciple and what do they do? And we came up with a first iteration of our discipleship program. I don't, can't remember what we called it. Doesn't matter. It wasn't good. But the bottom line is we, it, we, we, we came up with it and people started going through it. And what we found almost instantly was this is a whole lot of people sitting on their butts listening. <laughs> it's a classroom. It's teaching. That's which is great. It's important, right? But is that how Jesus discipled? Sure, he taught, but then he also took them on a journey, right? Literally walked with them, literally had them do things, literally experientially had them experience what it took. And that's what grew them. So we went, this isn't experiential enough. And so we scrapped the first one and we said, let's find the second one. And again, now we travel to more churches. This is when Dave was here. We traveled to more churches and we looked at what are they doing in their discipleship processes? How are they doing this? 
And we looked at them and we did a lot of stuff and we're not, I'm, I'm just not a, I'm not an adopt somebody else's thing. I'm steal this good idea, steal this good idea, but find the Holy Spirit and what he's telling us to do. So we came up with a second iteration of discipleship and it was much more experiential. But once again, very quickly after implementing, we just looked at it and we went, as good as this is, and really it was pretty good. This isn't how Jesus does it. <laughs> it just isn't. It's not how God actually disciples people. So what do we do? How do we get to where, how God disciples people? Now, there was about 15 to 18 people on staff. We were obviously a much larger church and so on. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that there were 15 to 18 people that were around a table, and all of them were drawing a salary to part-time or full-time at this church. So they were making their living. And, and we're sitting here talking about how to do discipleship, and all of a sudden it occurred to us this. Every person sitting at this table has had to make an enormous choice in their life to be at this table. If they'd have worked somewhere else, they'd have made a lot more money. If they'd have worked somewhere else, it, would be, it wouldn't be eight to five because there's no such thing anymore, almost. But it wouldn't be 24-7, 365, which is what pastoring is. You can get a call at any time for anything. You're, you know, it's not when it's convenient for you. It's when you're supposed to do. So it wouldn't be that. Even though some jobs are pretty, this is more so. But then there's a third element to it that is really the one that's very hard to communicate, and that is every job has politics, right? If you have two people in a room, you've got politics, okay? But the political dynamic of pastoring is particularly egregious <laughs> sometimes. It can be really difficult. I mean, really difficult. And you have to really have a stomach for it. You have, to have, you have to be able to hang in there and not respond back the way you want to in your flesh, which is not gonna work. So the point is, as we said, that these 15 to 18, or 16 to eight, 15 to 18, 18 people are sitting around this table. They're, they've made a choice to be here and they actually think that where they are is better than anything that the world has to offer. They think as tough as some of these things are, as sacrificial as they are, this is better. And so we said, why? And when we started the conversation, we literally went around the room. I still remember the day. I don't know if you do, Wanda, but I still remember the day we did this because all of a sudden it just occurred to us, wait a minute, why are you at this table? And let's look and see if there's a common theme. So we started off asking people their story. How did they get here to this table? And about a third of the way through, it was like, oh my gosh, there's these things that are falling out that are clear as common to all the people that are here. And by the time we got around the table, it was, a, it was completely clear. And it was what we call now the essentials. Those six things are essentials. And what we discovered was those six things in a way that is different than you might think, so hang in there with me. But when understood the way we think the Lord wants them done, these six things, you will grow in the Lord, period. And we've been ever since then trying to figure out how to do that ever better here, and we have failed miserably, and we have succeeded wonderfully, right? But we're still trying. And we haven't ever stopped trying to execute, to get that to work. In not, no, that's the wrong way to put it, because it is working but to get it to work better and better and better and get us better and better and better at getting people into these kinds of things. You'll remember, for example, churches that this, 
decisions that's made church that really hurt our size. Because when we got rid of those 12 or so pastors that were sitting around that table, in order to bring ministry back to people because we felt that that would grow them more, that hurt our growth. It negative our growth, <laughs> okay? But we felt like what was more important than growing the church was growing people. So we did it, and I've never looked back on it. I've never said, oh, we shouldn't have done that. No, I feel like we grew people more. And again, we had really successful times of doing it, and then less so. But nonetheless, we're on the right track. So having said that, these essentials, but here's the thing that two weeks ago, when I'm on my walk, that the Lord showed me about all six of these that I'd never seen before. If you were to boil all six of these down and try to find the one thing that's common to all six of them, what are they all actually about in terms of discipleship and growing? What are they all about? They boil down to hearing the Holy Spirit every better. Again, especially to find the way we do. When you understand the way we think about those six things, Every single one of them comes down to yet another way to hear the Holy Spirit better. Now, it was very comforting to us that we came up with this and we implemented it and we started executing and we started doing the stuff that we had to do with it. And about a year and a half to two years later, the church collapsed and there was a big study that was done about what discipleship really is. And about two years after we started this, the most important book for discipleship in the church, and anybody who studies these things and does this says this is the one. This is the study that helped people understand how people actually grow in the Lord. Millions of dollars spent, thousands of churches looked at, what actually makes people grow. And you know what they came up with? Those six things. <laughs> you can literally read the chapters. and You will see, boom, 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 boom. We have found that if people will do these things, and by the way, don't think of them as six different things. Think of them as your life. Something that you do in the midst of all the other things that you do. Don't think of it as six things that you do for a few minutes and you add into your life and boy, you don't have time for it. Think of them as when you're at work, you're doing these things. When you're at leisure, you're doing these things. When you're, when you're, when you're, this is the life that he has. This is what a Christian life is. So, with that in mind, let me show you just a couple more things, and then we're really going to get into the meat of it. Although, don't worry, because that'll go more quickly, because I don't have time. One with God and one another the world should know. That was the thing since the very beginning that we've said about this church. When we came up with our first motto, which was 20-some years ago, one with God and one another the world will know, because that's a life first for me. This is what I think church is supposed to be about. People, and not, it's not church, actually, that's not true. It's this is what a Christian life is. Being one with God and one another that the world would know. And what we're saying is, when you're one with God and truly one with one another, the world just knows. It's not that you're having to do a third thing. It's when you're doing the first two right, when you're getting the first commandment or the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God and the one that's like it unto it, getting, loving other people, then people just come because you're getting it right. And they see it's right. It's life-giving to them. So they'll come to know it. Now, we got that right there. May they all be one as you, Father, in me, and I'm in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This is Jesus' final prayer. And it's the end of his final discourse, and it's his final prayer. It's the thing he wanted ringing in the disciples' ears for all time. So that's what we felt like 
we should be doing. <laughs> so that's what we did. And I just want you to see, one with God, one another, the world should know. But I want you to see something. See the graphic elements here? I want you to look at this. See, one with God. See, that's a single drop going up and down. What we mean by that is the two things that are under that are supposed to be vertical things. They're between you and God. Now, you may look at that and say, I get how devos is between me and God, but church is this. It's public. I agree, but I don't. Wait, wait till you hear my, me define it in a little bit. There's something that's supposed to be happening in church, which I believe we're certainly not the best church out there or anything, so don't ever. But I don't believe that this happens enough in church. Can I say it this that way? Can I say I don't actually believe it happens very much in church? But it's supposed to be what's happening in every church all the time. It's supposed to be why we gather. <laughs> and that's a vertical thing between you and God. Yes, we're gathered, but it's supposed to be something happening here. We'll get back to it in a sec. But you see, so that's a single drop going up and down. Now, the next one is that's love God, right? Now, the next one is, and the second is like unto it, love other people. And so one another, see what this is, is this is different people that are having a vertical relationship with God and it's making a difference in their life and these waves are starting to overlap with other people. That's why that graphic is waves that are overlapping other waves. See it? This is now people interacting with each other in a way that God desires. Christianity is not a solo sport. There's a solo aspect, but it's a communal thing. And in the community, you're going to get so much more out of it than just solo. You got to have them both. So what we're going after is there's a communal thing. But then what we did in the last one here, in the serving and outreach, but in this last one, that's a great big wave. And what we think of this as is all of these waves that are interacting with each other start to build. Because more people interacting, more people, the waves are getting bigger, they get bigger, bigger. And finally, they become this great big crashing force that strikes the landscape and changes it. That's what that image is supposed to communicate. That what God will take us and the collective of it will change the culture, will change the world, will change the landscape. You see it? Okay, so that's, the, that's those. Now the second thing to look at is this. See these first, oh you can't see them because they're too light. You see the first Sunday's community serving. Okay, right now there's supposed to be a yellow thing over them but you can't see it, it's too light. Sunday's community serving. Here's what we found. Those are the public things. When we went and looked at churches, these are the things that we found. People were really big about getting people into church. They were really big about getting them into small groups. And they were really big about them serving. Now, when I saw that, I said this. I said, the, the problem I have with this is all of that can be done in a way that is really all about just feeding the beast, the organization, the church. The organization. They need you to come to church. They need you to give your money. They need you to be in some sort of small group where you're going to grow, but that also connects you so you don't leave. And you serve because we need chairs set up. And we need Sunday school staff. And we need, and we need, we need. See? So there's a way of looking at it. Now, all those things are actually, there's another way of looking at them, which we're going to do. And these churches do this too. They're not just, they're not intentionally self-oriented. But here's the thing that blew me away about it. I looked at all these public things that they were saying is discipleship. And what I didn't see was, or what I think they missed was, underneath it, there has to be this private dimension. So that's why they're stacked on top of each other. The upper layer is public, the bottom layer is private. You say, well, wait a minute, outreach isn't private. 
Hold on to that thought, I'm coming right back to it. But here's what I want you to understand. When you do the private things right in the Lord, they lead to the proper of the upper, more public things. See, it's supposed to go up. You get it? So that's why this is designed that way, and that's why you'll see it. You've seen it in other artwork, and I think we've had three different artworks for this, but it's always been that design, that, that, that orientation of the elements. Okay, got it? All right. Now, what I want to do, why can't I get this to work? Okay, so, oh, I get it. Okay. It's, it's, the projector is just not showing it, is it? Okay. All right, now here's what I want to do. Okay, so now if you go to our website, you go to the front page and scroll down, you will hit a section that is this. This is a picture from our website on the front page because this is how important I believe this is. This isn't, usually a church has a picture of a really great band and a bunch of people liking each other and so on. But I feel like what, I feel like I wanna choose a church because they have a plan for me to grow. That's why I wanna choose a church. So we put it on the front page because we wanted to communicate that. We have something that we believe will help you. And here it is. Now there's six elements, you see that, and those are all clickables. Let's take that outreach one, because remember what we said a second ago. We said, how's outreach private? Because isn't outreach about big church events that draw the, and isn't it about us going out and serving at the bus station? Yes, it's that too. But that's not actually what I mean by it. At its heart, at its depth, what I think God's really trying to do. Watch this. So there's outreach. Now, if you click the outreach button, this is the outreach page. Now, let me show you what it says. Being Jesus's hands, feet, and heart. Now, what do we mean by that? First and foremost, now this is the text off of our page. I didn't make this up for this sermon. I didn't change it after what God told me last week. I wanna show you how much of this was already in there. And look what he says. Look what we said. First and foremost, outreach is about him moving through you to reach who? Your friends your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. Those with whom you have a relationship. Now right there, that's not how most people think of outreach. Most people think outreach is going down the bus terminal and trying to bring somebody who doesn't know you never met before to the Lord. But what we're saying in our very first line is, no, that's not what outreach is really about. Let me prove it to you, okay? Everything is always about relationship. That's what God does. He wants to have a relationship with us. That's the most important thing, having a relationship with us. And then he wants us to so enjoy that relationship that it spills out into bringing others into relationship with him. Okay, now watch this. God's plan to reach the world is not necessarily what we think of as outreach. Because here's what we think of. You know, an evangelist, even a missionary, a, a, an event that the church does. Now, notice I'm saying not necessarily evangelists. I'm not saying evangelists aren't, that's a thing that God gives and they do that, right? That's a good thing, right? But let me just show you something. Let's say, what, what, what would you say was a number of an evangelist that had done really well in their life? Maybe let's say 100,000 people that they brought to the Lord, right? Wouldn't you think that was a pretty successful evangelist? That's great. There's 6 billion people in the world. How far is an evangelist going to get? Not very far. And, and let, me, let me take it another way. We think of evangelism as being about somebody else, somebody we don't know. 
See, it's not necessarily us converting strangers. You can do that in missions. You can do that at the bus station. You can do that by working down at Union Gospel, as wonderful as that ministry is. That's all very valid, very much something we should do. But I want to show you what God's plan was to save the world, because this is what he actually did. And this is why three billion people, roughly half the world, worship Christ today. Instead, God empowers every one of us to reach who? Not strangers, the people we love. It's an exponential plan. An evangelist can teach, reach a lot of people, but then that's it. But if you know what exponential means, see one person gets together with one person and teaches them how to love the Lord and how to teach others by, by what you've done. And then they go to two, and then those two go to two more, and they go to four, and then they go to 16, and then 266. And pretty soon in six times, you're at 4.3 billion people. That's what God intended. It wasn't a church outreach, <laughs> some bouncy things. And those are wonderful. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying they don't have their place. They do. But that's not his primary plan. His primary plan was to so change and transform lives that it made such a difference that A, you wanted to go spread it and P, people would see it and want to come to him because of what happened with you. You see that? Now, we don't start at one, oops. We don't start at one, we're starting at 500 million. <laughs> There's three billion Christians in the world. Let's say that one in six of them actually really loves the Lord. And that they have enough to them to where they can let the Holy Spirit move through them. Because you can't save anybody. But they have enough to know to let the Holy Spirit move through them at those moments that the Holy Spirit would lead that would bring them to the Lord. So you see, we're one generation away from the entire world. Doesn't mean everybody's gonna accept him, but it does mean everybody will be reached with the gospel of love. Blessed on the hills are the feet of those. The entire world can be saved in one generation by each of us merely discipling one or two of those we love and are already in relationship with. <laughs> That's it. Now, let's just look at what it is we're supposed to be doing because the Great Commission says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach those new disciples to obey the commandments I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, when we read that, here's what we read. Some evangelist has to go to some country and to bring some people that don't know him to the Lord. And what that means is they just have to baptize him in the name of Jesus, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, that's what we think of outreach as. Getting somebody to say the sinner's prayer and be willing to be baptized. Then we're done, right? Wash our hands. That's it. We got it. Is that what it says, though? Is that what the Great Commission is? No, you know this. It's to make disciples. Well, what does that mean? It does definitely mean bring them to Christ. For sure, it means that. But then it means teach him to obey, to do the commands that I've given you. <laughs> Bringing somebody to the Lord, let's be clear, is critical. But it's the beginning. <laughs> it's not the end. How do you have a good life? If you brought somebody to the Lord, hold their hand. Keep walking with them. Show them how to, how to worship, how to grow in Christ. You know how to do that? Just get them to do the six essentials. 
Teach them how important the fellowship of the gathering together saints is. Teach them how important community is. Teach them how important serving is the way I'm about to define it. Teach them how important devotionals are. Teach them how important threefolds, being in a really good group. Teach them how important sharing their faith is. That's discipleship. That's not hard. We were thinking, no, I got to know theology and I got to teach them, you know, the whole 28 books of so-and-so theologian, right? No. God has discipled you. Disciple them. Now watch this. The Great Commission is one of Jesus' primary commands. He told us, teach them to do what I say. He said, love God and love others. And right there in the love others is, at least part of it is, go to them and disciple. <laughs> love them. Love them into the kingdom and then love them into maturity. And he anoints and empowers with the Holy Spirit to do so. It, okay. Here's what Jesus says. I am with you always, even the end of age. No, it's not Jesus that's with us. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but Jesus said, wherever the Holy Spirit is, so am I. God is inseparably three, right? So yes, Jesus came to save us so that we could have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so his whole point was to try and get the Holy Spirit in us because that's what he had in him and that's how he walked the walk that he walked, right? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. I'm not saying one is more important than the other. All the three Godhead, they're all doing their parts. And this is the part that the Holy Spirit does. I am with you always to the end of the age. And he's saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to be there and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you and I'm going to help you. So all of outreach is in the end about getting better at hearing the Holy Spirit and then obeying him. <laughs> Loving on somebody. Loving on somebody. And then when he quickens you to do something, just doing it. <laughs> and then when that happens, you're like, wow, that's awesome. I want to do that again. <laughs> See? And then keep walking with him. That's, I think, the missing part that we're really doing. I think people are trying to bring people to the Lord, friends, families, and so on. But I don't think that they're oriented to discipling. And discipleship is not for the church. Discipleship is something you do. That's why I said... It's on the lower level. It's a private thing. It's you with a good friend. All right? Now, I just want to show you one quick thing. These things are not six different things. Watch this. All the other five things feed into this thing. It doesn't mean that outreach is the most important thing in God. What's the most important thing in God? Intimacy with God. Your personal intimacy with God. That's the most important thing. That's what he's going for. But what he's doing is, when you come into that intimacy, he expects that to flow out in a way that other people will see it, want to be a part of it, that you'll also want to share it with them. You'll go to them and they'll come to you and that you'll be bringing more people. See the dynamic? So here's what that means. That means that you got to get the other five right relative to outreach. In other words, watch this. If you're going to a church, and again, I don't mean to be talking poorly about church. I never do this, but I just have to say it. If you're going to a church that's a fundamentalist church and they understand all of the rules and the regs, which is to say they don't understand the gospel at all, and you're going to that church, do you think that you're gonna bring very many people to Christ? Because the answer is no. 
because they're going to go, this is just rules and regs. I can get that at the gym. Okay? But it's not just that. If you're in a community and the community of people is just whack, if you're in a hyper-spiritual community and you're rolling in the aisles and picking up snakes, do you think that's going to bring a lot of people to the Lord? See, everything needs to be done and lived and experienced in a way that is consistent with bringing people to God. This is exactly what it says, of course, when it says this. If therefore outsiders or unbelievers enters, will they not say that you're out of your minds if you're doing these things wrongly? Won't they say you're crazy? <laughs> but if I'll prophesy, if you're really actually moving in the things that only the Holy Spirit can do, you don't know their mail, but the Holy Spirit does. And if they walk in and you prophesy and an unbeliever enters, he's convicted, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And we need to be doing all of these things this way. See what I mean? That Devo has to be a wellspring of life that is actually a life that is attractional to other people. I still believe, and I'm a big offender on this. I am so freaking stressed out so much of the time. And I really am at peace with God. I really do trust God. If you know me well, you know me well, Kevin. I really trust God. And yet I still somehow figure out how to freak out and get stressed out. <laughs> now that is not very attractional. <laughs> because what I should be is in the middle, as, all, as it says, when all the world is losing their heads and you're not. That's the person to follow. Right? I think I do okay. But, you know, room for growth. Let's call it that, okay? But you see what I mean? You get into a place that's got health and it's got real life in it. Not kookiness. Satan is the one who's trying to get people into kookiness. Whatever sort it is. This should be natural and organic. There should be a person that doesn't know the Lord at all that could walk into everything that we're doing in any prayer meeting, in any situation, and in every situation bear witness to the presence of God in this room. Even if they don't know what the presence of God is. But they should be able to say, that was something, and I don't know what that was, and I want that. That's how we should be practicing every part of our lives and every one of these other expressions has to line up with that. So if that's the case, let's line them up and let's watch and see what they're really about. So done properly, as truly led by his spirit, all these essentials are really about how to hear the spirit ever better. So let's look at that. Is that true? Sunday church, we've already said, is that really a private thing? Well, look at the way we define it. You click on Sunday church, you get this screen. You can't read it. I wish we could, we can't adjust it, darken it, right? Anyway, I, I hope it comes out now. Yeah, kind of, oh, no, it doesn't. Sunday church, uh, we gather together, and then you need a, okay, at Lake Sam, where is it? What it says is, what I wanted to pick out was, led by him prophetically. That's right there on that page, it's been there for a long time. I believe what Sunday church is supposed to be about is a prophetic moment. Not just the sermon, the whole thing. This is an encounter with God. That's what's supposed to be happening in the sermons. That's what I think is happening in the sermons when I talk about how one sermon builds on another, even though I've asked somebody two months ago, because I don't ask people, I don't ask what their content is. I don't say, what's your sermon, and I'll see if it fits. 
What I do is I say, who do you want to preach? And God tells me who's supposed to preach, and it might be two or three months in advance, and then they come up with something two or three weeks ago, and I have no idea where we're going to be then. And yet, sure enough, when it comes time for them to preach, literally the sermon that they told me it was going to be about months ago is precisely the sermon that is the next brick in the thing that God is building. Happens over and over and over and over. In fact, what's weird about it is it pretty much never doesn't happen. <laughs> so let's go through this a little bit. Okay, look at this, being sent out prophetically. We dig into his word where he leads us prophetically, simply meaning that he reveals whatever he wants us to know and then sends us out to be and to do his will. This is a moment to worship God together and to hear a prophetic word from the Lord about direction and then to put it into practice. My, the church that my dad pastored had a thing over the wall, and it was when they were walking out the door. In fact, maybe we should do this, help me remember. But he said, you are now entering your mission field. As you walked out the door, you're now entering your mission field. You've been equipped. Now enter your mission field and put it into practice. Right? Now, we need to hear through the different speakers the one speaking to us all. See, now we're talking about that everything's about learning how to hear the Spirit better as we go through these things. And here's what I want you to see. When we have these pastors that have different voices, different perspectives, different ways of looking at things, but there's this common voice in them. There's theirs too. Now, what does that remind you of? Got to be really careful here to stay away from heresy. Kevin will love this one. It's like the Bible, isn't it? Isn't the Bible a bunch of books written by different people with different voices and different perspectives and different ways of looking at things? But yet the reason why we know they belong in Scripture is because we hear that there's one voice behind it all. In fact, isn't life a whole lot of noise? And what we're supposed to be trying to do is to figure out how to hear the Holy Spirit underneath all of that noise? Now let's be very clear. Our preachers are not like the Scripture writers, inerrant, infallible, and so on. We are more than fallible. We fallible every day, every sermon. Hopefully not every paragraph, but every other for sure, okay? So I'm not saying we're like scripture, but I'm saying it's the same spirit, isn't it? The Holy Spirit inspired them to do a particular thing that the world needed, and that was a plumb line. And through us, we're more fallible, but he's still doing the same thing. And that's what's supposed to be happening in church. It's, it's supposed to be a, a journey, He's leading us on a journey. That's what we're supposed to be getting out of this. And you need to get to where, watch this, when you start hearing the one speaking through various people, you're learning how to hear the Holy Spirit. See it? This person said this, and this person said this, and this person has said this, and I see this through line, and I hear this particular thing. Justine talks one way, Kevin talks another way, Kurt talks another way. This person has never preached before talks an entirely different way, and yet I'm hearing this one spirit who's through this. And again, what I'm saying is, that's teaching us how to hear the Holy Spirit in the noise of life. In fact, we see and hear him through much of Lake Sam on Sunday, you just, I just wish you knew what the sermon was when you were walking in this door because the worship songs over and over and over will be the sermon. And then somebody will get up and give a word. And as I said last week, well, I think it was probably God because it was the sermon. <laughs> Happens all the time. Rarely does it not happen. It is the norm here. 
even in announcements. <laughs> I'm saying prophetically, also personal. There's a lot of prayer that happens with people that are in need, and there's a lot of words that are being given in there. And that's another way of hearing the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, even in the announcements, a lot of times you'll be going, look at that. I'll reference them in my sermons a lot of times when that happens. Why does this happen? Because what we care about on Sunday morning is being led by, here, I'll do it to you. Thank you. Uh, I've been walking over a rock this whole time. The thing that I care about on Sunday morning is being led by the Holy Spirit. I don't care about what the sermon was. I don't care about what the worship was. I don't care about what the words were. I don't care about any of it. What I care about is that the Holy Spirit would lead us. That's what I care about. That's what we care about. That's what our staff cares about. Adam Carpenter, <laughs> I'm going to say this the way it needs to be said, and this is an enormous compliment. I never, ever thought that you'd be able to do what you do every single week here. I never thought that. <laughs> That's me and being an idiot. Because the fact of the matter is, is you've learned how to move in the Holy Spirit so beautifully. That's discipleship. <laughs> he finds where the Lord is and he takes us there. That, you, you're the one that came up with that last song. That's what that was when you were doing that. You were right. <laughs> that was a moment. That was the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Holy Spirit looks like, feels like, is like? Just watch. Just experience I love people streaming in because they need to, but being here is even better because you get to feel it. And you know, we're not done yet. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're not done yet. And you go, oh, I got it. <laughs> this is what should be happening all the time. And this is how you learn to hear the Spirit. That's what should be happening on a Sunday morning. Right? Sunday church is God teaching us how to hear and obey His Holy Spirit ever better. Okay? Okay, let's do community groups. Now I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. Community groups. Honestly, I think of community groups the way most people would think of church. I don't think of church as, I've already told you what I think of church as. This is a gathering moment under the Holy Spirit to be led, to be sent out. But you can't fellowship. We give you time to fellowship in the, in the, you know, during the coffee break, and we do all kinds of things to encourage fellowship and, and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is this. You need to be in a community of people that you're actually living life with if you're going to get to the dynamic that God really intended in groups. If you click on the button, you get this page, Doing Life Together in Community. And what I'm going after is ecclesia, which technically is translated church. It's the word for church. But here's what ecclesia is. It's people called out from the world and to God, the outcome being the church. But really, I put this in here. I didn't put it in here. This is the definition. The mystical body of Christ. Here's what I believe. When you're in a group of people that are 20 to 40 people, I'm not talking about a Bible study that you go to for a couple of hours. Now, Bible studies can become this pretty well, and they do typically. Okay, the Thorson's group's been going on for a long time. You guys are here. Okay, you're living life together. This isn't about the Bible study anymore. It stopped being about the Bible study how long ago? <laughs> you know what I mean? It started being about the people. It started being about the lives together with each other, going through things, experiencing things, ministering to each other, being a family, being a community, being communal in your lives, sharing your lives, sharing yourself. Because what God wants us to do in community, that's why I say Christianity is not a solo sport. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. 
If you're getting by yourself in your closet with the scriptures, you can still get whack. <laughs> when you're in a community that is really a community, you get called back. <laughs> you get brought back. You know, you get brought back into, the, no. And there's a way to express what you're expressing, but this is the better way to do it. You see it? So this is what these groups are about. And again, I want to say something. I'm a, I love Bible studies. But I want our Bible studies to come out of our communities. I don't want people to have to come to Bellevue. I want them to be in Renton. I want them to be in Bendiqua. I want them to be up in Bothell, up in, you see what I mean? And I want there to be a community there where people are five minutes away and they're able to invite their friends and they're able to come in themselves. And any one community in my mind should have two or three different Bible studies going on because there's 50 people in a group. That's small enough to where you matter. As soon as you don't matter anymore, I don't know what you're doing anymore in a group. In church, anyway, I'm, uh, you'll hear some of this in January, okay? So there you go, okay? Now, here's what the disciples did. The, not the, the, all of the original Christians did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship in their homes, to the breaking of bread into prayer. This is what the original Christians did. They lived life on life. This is what Dan always used to say, life on life. That's how they live. So that's what, to me, now serving, serving to me is just like outreach, it's just a little different. Outreach is I'm trying to bring someone to him. Serving is I'm just trying to serve you, period. Okay, outreach I am trying and serving oftentimes leads to somebody coming to the Lord. But when I think of serving, here's what we usually think of. We need somebody to set up the chairs. That is not at all what I think of as serving. That is serving, and thank you for that, because we really do need the chairs set up. And thank you very much that you care enough about what happens in here, and that you care about who's coming in, that you will make it a pleasant place for people to be. That is just awesome, it's important, thank you for it. But that is not, lovingly, life-changing. Here's what's life-changing, and look at how we talk about serving on our website, okay? Here's the page. It's helping somebody directly that transforms their lives. Pour yourself out to somebody else, and then look what it says. You pour yourself out to actually help somebody make a difference in their life? It'll grow you. Now, that's not why you do it. That's just what happens. When you're really helping somebody, you don't know how to really help them. So you're praying to God in the Spirit. The Spirit's showing you what to do. He's empowering you to do it. And then you do it. And then you're going, that is phenomenal. And you really made a difference as you served and ministered to them. Here's how we say it. Right here in the text. Lake Sam serves others. We do some things together, like our annual Jubilee service day. See, that's your typical kind of service and outreach and so on, where we all get, get to help local schools get ready for the year. But what we really encourage is that you find a situation where you can help someone directly. And I don't mean help them set up chairs. Again, I love you setting up chairs. But I don't mean that that's going to change your life, and I don't want to tell you that it will. I'm not saying there aren't people that set up chairs that have life-changing experiences, because God does things. But what I am saying is, get into a situation to where you're serving somebody directly, making a difference in their life. Serving is something that you can do on your own as well. If you pray, God will bring someone who needs you. 
By service, by the way, you can open your eyes and go to them. By service, we do not mean setting up chairs. Sorry about the chairs thing. Thank you if you want to help set up chairs, but what makes this an essential is when you're helping somebody directly, it's rewarding in ways that few other things ever can be. Bottom line, pour yourself out to help someone else, and not only will they be helped, but God will grow you exponentially. Like outreach, serving is all about asking the Holy Spirit where he wants you to serve, how he wants you to serve, and then seeking him continually while serving. So you see how each one of these is really about getting better and better at hearing the Holy Spirit? We've only got a couple more. Devos. This one ought to be really obvious, right? I get it. This has got to be about the Holy Do you realize how many people read their Bible and don't read it interactively? Let me show you. This is our page for Devos. But let me just show you. Reading the word interactively and talking with God, relational prayer. The adjectives are what matters in this. There are lots of people that read, their, that read the Bible and they just read it. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. I just don't understand that. Now, what I do understand is lots of people read it and they go, I don't understand it. And when I read this devotional by this other guy, he tells me what it means and I get a lot out of that. And that's wonderful. Do that. I don't have any problem with that. But what I do mean is something else. You've got to learn how to make the Bible be alive for you. And the way that we say to do that amongst others is soap. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. You can go right to our website. You can look it up. And here's what I want to say. If you read the Bible and you don't understand and God's not talking to you through it, I'm, I'm asking you to do one thing first. Go to this page, click on the button, and read the material about how to do a soap, and maybe even watch the video. And then start doing that in your reading. Start doing a process of how to read the Bible interactively. Because what I can tell you is, it'll take a long time. Months, probably. But there'll be enough little sort of triggers in there where you'll start getting something. To where you'll get to the place to where, as somebody said in my threefold just the other day, they said, I used to read the Word and, you know. But they say, now almost every single day that I read the Word, the Lord says something directly to me. Now, this is a person that didn't know how to do it that wasn't getting anything out of it, but they started reading the word interactively, expecting God to talk, expecting that the author, the Holy Spirit, it's a living word, it's alive and it's trying to talk, okay? Here's why. Here's why you gotta read the word. Because the word is the one that God inspired. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Is that what you want it to do? Because that's what it says it'll do. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. But here's the point I'm going after, the breath of God. It is the breath of God. You know the word in Hebrew for breath and, and spirit and wind is ruach. Same word for all three of them. Breath is spirit. And here's what we're saying. Interacting with the Holy Spirit is hearing the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Holy Spirit sounds like? Read the word. The word. Let it start talking to you. Let it start coming alive to you. Now you'll know what the Holy Spirit sounds like. For real. Is this good? 
Relational prayer. Remember, it's in the adjective. I'm not talking about prayer. I'm talking about carve out significant time, 15 minutes or more, to simply be with him in relational prayer. This is just being with God, talking to him about whatever's on your mind and heart. It's more about talking with your friend than it is praying through a list. Ask him questions. See what comes to mind. Do you see how I'm saying he talks to you? You ask him a question and then see if you start getting thoughts. Here's what happens. You're going to get a thought. The first time you get a thought, you're going to say, that was me. The hundredth time you get a thought, you're going to start realizing some of that was just me. But then there's this other voice. You'll start distinguishing between the two. Every once in a while, God gives me a thought. And I'm going to start listening to that more and more. And then what you're going to find out is, by golly, he's been talking to you the whole time, all the time. <laughs> you just didn't know that that was him. And that's what it sounded like and how to tune into it. Expect him to respond in whatever way he does with you. This is not something to do when you're driving or taking a shower. You, I love praying when I'm driving and taking a shower. Don't misunderstand me. But the way that I know how to pray interactively, even when I'm driving and taking a shower, which I tend to do at the same time, uh, <laughs> the way that I know where the Holy Spirit is is because of the time that I took that was just him and me. The dot, the blop, the, 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 the water that was going up. When, I, when I've learned what he sounds like, I can now hear him all places. Not perfectly, and ever more so, but you get the drift, okay? Typically, going for a walk helps you in his presence. I know Justine had to raise your hands, and nobody goes for a walk. That's okay. You can do it in your prayer closet. You can do it anywhere. The one thing you have to do is you can't do this in five minutes. I'm sorry. It just can't be done. It takes a longer period of time. And as Martin Luther said, when my day is really too busy for me to ever possibly get it done, then I pray four hours instead of two. Nothing will teach you how to, Holy Spirit, how to hear the Holy Spirit more than devos, reading the word, talking with God, one quick story. There's somebody that I know that I really love dearly, and, and you know, they started ministering to people, and I was helping them learn how to do that and walk them through things and everything else. And, it, and they became you know, became a little joke that everything with you always boils down to devos. No matter what the problem is, the longer we look at it, the more we boil it down to what the element is, it turns out you're not doing devos. <laughs> you're not doing where the person that you're ministering is not doing them. So then a friend of theirs got into ministry and they're connected to me too. And, and when the friend of theirs got into it, they came to him and they said to him in a way I was never supposed to hear, they said, the one thing you're gonna learn about him is everything always boils down to devos. <laughs> It always gets back down to devos. And then this person said, so here I am, I'm starting to minister to people and everything keeps boiling down to devos. <laughs> are you doing devos? If you are, you're getting it. People all the time, are, I, I say, have you, have you really prayed about this? Have you really brought this? Have you talked with them? Have you, and well, I, you know, I don't have time, so I've just been thinking about it. And then they're confused. But you get somebody who's actually spending time with the Lord it, it, it lo you lose the confusion. <laughs> it becomes clear what to do, how to do it, why to do it, everything. Devos, devos. By the way, this is why devos are at the bottom left-hand corner because they're the cornerstone for everything else. See that? Everything else builds off of them, up and, uh, up and sideways. Now the last one, threefolds. Devo should be the thing that's made the biggest difference in people's lives in this church, but it's not. 
And that's because people still don't do them. <laughs> but people did start doing threefolds long time ago. And for sure, the greatest thing that we've ever done in this church and the thing that has made by far the biggest difference in this church is threefolds, which is to say, that's the threefolds page. It's the heart of Lake Sam. It's where the deepest ministry tends to happen both to you and through you. And right there's the key phrase. A lot of times when you get to get with devos, you might talk about a movie or sports or whatever. And then you do talk about your lives and so on. And it's a really good time together, but it's just a time together that has some value, particularly when you pray. If you don't pray in your devos, and we, I go to a public restaurant and we pray. And, and I can tell you, one of the guys in the devo didn't even really like to pray privately. And now, literally, they've become the best prayer in the threefold. And they'll just sit there and pray for five minutes. None of us ever even think about. We've never had a waitress. We've never had a person. We've never had anybody be bothered by it. We just sit there and we just pray. Nobody cares. And we just pray. And, and every time when we pray, I go, I'm glad I came here. <laughs> Something about that time of prayer. And you guys have been around all these years know this is how it started. In fact, Jenny Yahokowski was my first threefold partner along with Chris Weber. Right? And I went, there's something in this. And I said, God, I want to do a prayer ministry at Lake Sam, but I don't want to do the typical one where we call everybody together and it blows up and everybody's coming and then people start dropping off and it dies this slow, painful death. I said, I want to do something that sustains and that will cause us to be a praying church for real. And I can't say we've done that wholly, but I can say we've done that magnificently by his leading. And threefolds of the thing, and here's why they're so great. Every once in a while, somebody's gonna walk in there with a really serious problem, and it's somebody who you've now come to love. And you care about them, and your heart cries out for them. And what happens when your heart cries out? God speaks. He ministers. The Holy Spirit quickens. And then you give it to them. And in this incredibly safe place, because these are people that love you and it doesn't seem like ministry at all. It just seems like you're helping them, which is what it is, which is what ministry is supposed to be. And then you say this thing. And literally, I love the experience where you say this and then you kind of go, could you give me a piece of paper? I'd like to write that down. <laughs> that was really good. I'd like to remember that. But it was God through you to them ministering. And right there, you learn what it is to have the Holy Spirit flow through you to make a difference in somebody else's life. And it is beautiful. And it makes you want to do that more. And then you can start doing it in places other than your threefold. It's also pretty great to be ministered to in the power of the Spirit. Because you start saying, well, by golly, God does really answer cries. So there you go. You get even better at obeying the Holy Spirit. So there you go. That's it. That's what that diagram means. Let me finish with this. This is the answer to the question of our entire lives. The answer to our entire lives, the question needs to be this. How do you get to hearing the Holy Spirit better and better? That's the question. It should be everybody, every single Christian's, how do I hear him better and better? And then obey him better and better. And I'm telling you, do those things right there and you will be doing that. Which is to say, these aren't six things that you have no time for and are too busy to do. 
We've been asking the question, is there more to life? And what does the life that God has me look like? And here's what I want to say. This is the life, the better, the fuller, the richer that God has for you. This, right there, Sundays, the, the, the gathering together, the communities, the serving, the devos, the threefolds, the outreach. This is something, this isn't six things that you take, pick one from column A and one from column D because you don't have time for B and C. This is what a Christian life looks like. The research says it. Our experience says it. The Lord says it. <laughs> And in the Holy Spirit, you can do this. Because of my dad's passing, I have gotten militant about the time that I'm spending to the point that I've had to tell people I can't meet with you unless it's just really critical because of the overwork that I'm doing and the bad places that it's taken me. And I'm afraid that I'm going to box myself into a corner where in love the Lord is going to have to do something with me. And I don't want to do it because I wasn't able to do right in the things that I was doing. And so I've become militant about getting a work-life balance back into my life. And that means I'm, I've cut back, I'm probably 20 hours a week less than I was working. It's still 50 to 60, but I'm trying to get it down into the 50s regularly. And what I want to tell you is as I've become militant about cutting back, my list of things to do has been shorter than ever. These are not things that you don't have time for. These are things that Satan is trying to choke out. Do these things, seek him first, everything else gets taken care of. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for this moment. Thank you for showing us some things. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for growing us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before you right now and we say in Jesus' holy and precious name, your kingdom come and your will be done in this moment in my life. In fact, let's seal it. Pick up this, this communion cup. By the way, if you do not know him, this is your moment. This is the perfect moment to say yes to him. We take this lower cup in which is his body broken for us, this bread. And what we do is we recognize that in Jesus' holy and precious name, by not living the life that God has for us, we have ended up in the life that Satan had for us. We've ended up in the life that the world had for us. We've ended up in a life full of tension and stress and disappointment and, and all kinds of things that God never intended to be in our lives. And we know that we've broken them. And so we come to you, Jesus, right now, and we thank you for taking all of that on yourself and dying on the cross and that by your stripes we have been healed. And so we take our finger and we put it in here and we break this. And we say, I recognize that I've broken my life and I recognize how I've broken it. And now I lift this cup up and I look through the cup at the cross. And I say, by his stripes, I am healed. He has taken all of this and so in Jesus' holy and precious name, I take this into myself to say that you have taken this from me. Jesus, thank you. Take this cup together. Thank you. And now we lift the second cup in which is 
the life that you do have for us. The life is in the blood. There is a life that God has for us that is so beautiful, so wonderful, so anointed, so empowered, so filled with the Spirit's leading, so filled with our following, so filled with the things that God does and only God can do. And it is phenomenal. And we say in Jesus' name, thank you for this life. I want this life. I know it's right there. I don't need to do anything to get it. I just need to enter into it. So in Jesus' name, we take this cup together saying to him, God, enter me into this life. And if you are new to him right now, the perfect time to take this cup and say, come into my life and show me this incredible life that you have. Take together. Thank you, Lord. I have to tell you, that's a magnum opus of my life right there. A little long, sorry, but that's a magnum opus of my life. That's everything that I believe and think and, and about church and all of it. That's it. That's me right there. Thank you, Jesus. We're doing an offering now.